Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Clint Emerson and welcome to Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. Today we have a retired NFL linebacker, keynote speaker. And I'm kind of jealous of this one. He's an ambassador for Lululemon. And he is the founder of Adaptive Training Foundation. I want to welcome David. You'll say your last name so I don't butcher it. Yeah, Vibora. Vibora. Yeah. David Vibora, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming, buddy. Thanks, Clint. I'm excited for it, man. <laughs> Sounds like this format is, I got, I got something in store. Yeah, a little bit. Let's yeah. go. We'll see how you do. Okay. I'm going to give you choices. You pick which one. I'm going to circle them. We'll come back around, see how you do. Okay. Didn't know there was tests to start out. (laughs) Good thing I have a mustache. Yes. And a mullet. Is that a mullet? No, it's not a mullet. It's the full-blown thing. It's long on over. It is. This will come out on YouTube a week after you're listening to it, so make sure you check it out. He he looks really good. His locks look clean. They look fluffy. Hair model wasn't on one of the things to announce at the front. Yes. It's very, very pretty. Okay. Here we go. Risk it all or take the safe bet? Risk it all. Mm. Okay. Lick an ice cream cone or suck a lollipop? Lick an ice cream cone. That was fast. Mm. Boy, that's experience right there. <laughs> now, this one, you know, only I could add. You're going to have probably the best answer when we circle around to this one, and people understand why here in a minute. Would you rather lose an arm mm. or lose a leg? Mine would be an arm. An arm. Okay. I'm interested in that one. Push-ups or pull-ups? Push-ups. Push-ups. Sit in the sauna in the prescribed 20 minutes at 150, 60, whatever it is these days, or cold plunge for five minutes. That's a both hand, but I'd say sauna. Uh, sauna, yeah. Um, get hazed by five seals yeah. or get hit five times by Ray Lewis. 
I'd take Ray Lewis. <laughs> no shit. All right. Husband or father? Ooh, husband. Kids only have till I'm 18 or till they're 18. <laughs> That's, yeah, you got mom for life. Yep. Um, all right. Now, you're going to have to really think through this one. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, you're mugging down with this person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a lot of groping going on. Okay. Okay. Yep. Kissing, groping. Okay. Yep. Keep that in mind. Okay. Your mom's body with your wife's consciousness inside <laughs> or your wife's body with your mom's consciousness inside which one i'm gonna say mom's body wife's consciousness <laughs> that's a tough one all right mom looks good dude i'm just saying <laughs> mom's done well to take care of herself um so big touchdown or big tackle big tackle defense is the real glory <laughs> <laughs> a dozen donuts or a whole pizza i'm gonna say pizza pizza all right and then work-life balance or career success? Mm. Lifestyle design. Where's that one? Career. Uh, <laughs> I would say. What was the first? How'd you work say? Work-life balance. Yeah, work-life balance. Yeah, gotta keep everybody in it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good job. Circling back to the top. Risk it all versus safe bet. You pit risk it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. I think the biggest trap is to play it safe. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're somebody that wants to reach out and touch the one life that you do have, you better be willing to roll the dice sometimes. Yeah, I think it's a good answer. And I think safe bet. I mean, that's boring anyway, right? Yeah, well, I think, again, like it, we all lots of times will we'll say, oh, man, I want to take big risks. I want to do this. When it, but when it comes time to actually leap, right, to cross that threshold of uncertainty, people balk at that. And yeah. I think it's, you know, it takes lots of times, you know, tragedy or significant catastrophe for us to be able to pivot in life. And as human beings, as our organism, we don't do well when things are comfort and convenient. Right yeah. when it's time to really nut up or show up, that's the time to make the real choices. So risking it is the best way to find out about yourself. Yeah, I'm with you. You got to fall on your face a whole bunch of times before you get those successes anyway, and that doesn't even happen unless you don't take risk. Yeah. Um, suck it or lick it. You pick <laughs> lick it pretty quick. You Experience know, or? I'd say the the lollipop thing. <laughs> I can't last. It's all about I chomp that thing down in a heartbeat. So <laughs> at least with ice cream, I can savor it a little bit more because the temperature, uh, that brain freeze thing, it automatically mitigates me being able to just gulf it. So that's a good answer. Yeah, God, you're good at this. Practical. Okay. Arm or leg? You picked arm. Yeah, you know this is fifty fifty. Either way, I get a free gym membership at the gym that I run. So I'm in, I'm winning from the stance <laughs> of that. But arm is interesting. I, I've I've trained both a lot of time with both types of athletes and i think arm is is unique for i mean again i'm gonna obviously go with my non-dominant arm if i can pick yeah. but i think arm i've seen our athletes again like the the integration to create new standards for yourself is easier with an upper extremity injury um but you know there's certain things that that you realize like again like a hug like a hug, a two-handed, two-armed hug is a big deal. And so you have to say goodbye to that. But I'll take that because these, uh, these legs get me a lot of places. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I figured you'd have an interesting perspective on that after all the years of working with. Yeah. Now, adaptive, amputee, what's the, what's the word? I yeah, mean, we call them adaptive athletes. Yeah. You know, the great Bill Bowerman said that if you have a human body, you're an athlete, whether you compete at sport or not. And I think when you start to call someone an athlete, whether they were, whether they were previous to injury yeah. or that's, that's just how they still identify, I think that the difference is exercise for exercise sake is fitness, right? But training, it, there's an inherent need to have it specific to 
something to test yourself, some arena to go out and, and to put it on the line. And I think that when they start to do so, then they stop keeping themselves safe. They stop being okay with whatever the doctor diagnosis was, or even okay with the people that love them most trying to keep them safe. Those closest to us are often those that want comfort and convenience for us, but true friends, right? It's the difference in niceness and kindness. Yeah. And being nice doesn't help anybody. Right, being right. kind and being able to have to say that one thing or multiple things over and over to that person, that's, that's the kindness of being able to be authentic and be honest with someone. Yeah, awesome. Great answer too. Uh, push-ups versus pull-ups. You pick push-ups. Yeah, man. Well, I, my weight and my size has varied over the years. I think football Dave would have certainly said push-ups. These days, Ultra Dave is a little bit more okay with pulling himself up and down on a bar. Uh, but I look, it, it's International Chest Day every day, and so <laughs> if we can get the chest in as a man, you know, my kids hate when I do the pec pop thing, but I do it every day just because they hate it. What because are dads supposed to do? That's right. You and the Rock earn them. Yeah, there you go. Uh, sauna versus cold plunge. You being in this uh, human performance world, you're yeah. hearing about all these trends going on. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, we were doing these before they were trends. Um, yeah. It, 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 I think there's a lot of um, science to defend either and or both collectively. The first, though, sauna to me, you know, we've done a lot of stuff with heat shock proteins and whether that's uh, bringing the air assault bike into the sauna, needing to put oven gloves on because as the fan kicks up, you will quite frankly melt your hands. Um, but the, the stimulation of what that does for the pituitary gland and for the insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, which is the precursor to secrete HGH for your body, human growth hormone. So there's a direct correlation to that and an enhancement of um, male based hormones and female as well but males especially you see a huge return on investment for that time in the sauna mm -hmm. um, I also think that you're gonna well, cold tub too you're gonna learn about yourself when the panic button starts to hit and for me the cold you know up front it slaps you but then it gets easy sauna is different yeah sauna is progressive right and it's 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 later on in that experience that you start to you know like breathe a little faster or start to think to yourself oh my gosh I'm gonna pass out and really like the physical body sends all these signals and the human brain is so much more capable yeah. so if we can stay in that vein a little longer than is comfortable you might be amazed of the breakthroughs that you have and then jumping into a cold tub afterwards is the way to do it yeah yeah i've been if you watched that show on national geographic chris helmsworth where yeah he, he roams around he really yeah. takes every episode and breaks it down into layman's terms on the advantages yeah. of doing the heat and the cold yeah. and stress and this and that. And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's great to have mainstream conversations about this. Yeah. I mean, Huberman's podcast certainly has been one that, you know, you find these people right. that maybe don't really push themselves in human performance and yet they get a carrot from a Huberman podcast when they're driving on their way to work yeah. and now all of a sudden they're a guru right. and they want to talk about the benefits of all these things but people have to guinea pig themselves I think it's about you know being your own brilliant borrower and then going into the laboratory and testing if you don't do that then you're always going to be a YouTube trainer uh, you know fly by the seat of the trends and although knees over toes guy gets all this pub like he's just really good at marketing strategy that have been around for a long time. So I think I'd say less about what's on Instagram, more about you deciding to try it all and then decide what worked for you, what doesn't. Yeah, action. Yeah, action, action. over the God. words. The Decisive words, action. The words that we scroll through every day. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the first time on cold plunge stuff, I hated it, it was when I, 
you know, when you're at the command, they'll pay, you know, just like kind of almost setup you have going, right? You got athletes that come to you for eight to nine weeks. They yeah. do the same for us. We go to API. Now it's called Exos. Yeah. And um, you're there with NFL guys. I was doing two a days, NFL in the morning, NBA in the afternoon. Huge difference on workouts there. NBA um, guys are the worst. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to work out. Right. No, they're the most <laughs> God-given talent. And yet yes. there's not a lot of grit. No, <laughs> not a lot no. And they're okay with going. Nope, I ain't doing that. Yeah. Nope, I ain't doing squats yeah. today. Are you crazy? Yeah, it's kind of like my kids. Like you got to realize <laughs> the front door is locked. How do you find a back window that's yeah. unlocked and then starts a Trojan horse from there? Yeah, there you go. And anyway, they got in the cold plunge, and at the time, the NFL's little goal is fifty-five degrees for fifteen minutes. And I guess now freezing for three minutes is the goal just to get that. Yeah, I think the exchange is what you're after, right? So yeah. I think that anytime you earn that water for five minutes or longer, you're going to get coagulation, right? And so tissue inside of the body should glide. So the analogy that I give to people that works is imagine you had a newspaper and you got it wet. All those pages would stick together. That's adhesion. That's not it. That's if inflammation is, is occurring, then that's a bad thing to have stuff stuck together. So as you can create stimulation and or the body recognition of this and it sends cells to start to recover and renew then all of a sudden you get some separation ideally tissue can glide so the old kind of adage of like you know put your ass down in that for 20 minutes freeze right. out and get out that can be okay for the nervous system but it can actually work against you for the muscular skeleton tissue and so we look at hey how do you do a three to one ratio where you're in the cold for three you're in the heat for one minute and you do that three to five times but you end on cold because naturally your body's going to you know uh, elevate and the level of homeostasis is going to return to 98.6 hopefully and so that's where you get a little bit more of the dump and a little bit more of the recovery and what's your temperature and time for both? I like 45 as a as a marker. I think you start getting, you know, it's it, lots of times it becomes that dick measuring contest. You know, I went in a 38, brother. And yeah. we actually, when I was with the Rams, we used to do this. First, we did it to the rookies. Um, back to your hazing question. But <laughs> but it was, you know, who could go under in the cold all the way under, right? How long can they hold their breath and or stay underwater? And the amount of the deep you know shallow water cold blackouts that we had of pulling guys out eventually the training staff got wind of it and said no put, no. The, put the kibosh on that but yeah it's amazing right like they go back to that if somebody on their own volition you know goes in and and box at it like put them into a pressure cooker with some level of peer pressure and and peer awareness of it and they always end up performing that much more so and you know, fundamentally if anyone's listening to this and you don't have a, a a tribe or a community of people that you know are calling you to go and try hard things then maybe that's not the ecosystem that you need to become the best version of yourself and yeah. i'm not saying you walk away from those people but i think you start taking opportunities to position yourself on a different plane and if those relationships rise up than they were supposed to you're supposed to be in your life if they're not then it's one of those situations where maybe that's okay that they roll out maybe it's for a season maybe it's for life but you have to be okay with that you can't concede your growth opportunity because somebody else wants you to play it safe yeah i like that that's good advice uh we got off on a tangent but that's okay i'm good at that too all right so next was Oh, get hazed by five team guys, yeah. or get hit by uh, Ray Lewis five times. Yeah. Well, you look, Ray. I'll say I know what the physical <laughs> pounding feels like. I, yeah. I've never been hazed by five seals, and so I'm going to keep that one as a as a bucket list I don't want to visit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's reserved for birthdays. Yeah. The difference marriage. I think is like Ray would be angry while he did it, and I could expect that. The seals would be very calm and very collected and cool, and that would worry me. Yeah. No, it's it's worrisome even for me. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I mean, one of the favorites is getting, you know, you get tackled when you don't expect it, kind of like your world. Yeah. Uh, differences, you get stripped down naked, you get yeah. taped to a spine board, yeah. and then they pour Tabasco sauce down your pee hole, mm. right? Mm. And then that's just the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a warm up. That's when you know, oh, I've made it. This is what <laughs> yeah. the SEAL teams is all about. Um, all right, so husband versus father. You went to husband. Yeah, I said this to my wife when we were doing some marriage counseling before we got wet or got hitched. Um, you know, I said that. I said, look, it, I have the kids for 18 years or we have them for 18 years, right? I chose you for my life. And yeah. there was the, I think it stemmed from the question that, um, you know, boats going down, kids are with you. You can only save one, right? You save the kids, you save your wife. And I was immediately, you know, it's my wife. And although she, she was flattered, it was quick that she like cursed me out, started to find a way to get mad at me for not saving the kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And as, as lots of our, you know, significant others would, they'd be like, no, save the kids and then roll the dice on me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play that game. So my kids, Kids mean the world to me, but I feel confident that even if this is my last day on earth, that I've left them the breadcrumbs that I care most about. Mm -hmm. And that emphasis and the memory of me should live on with people that can help steward a lot of those principles that I care about into my kids' lives. I like it. It's good stuff, buddy. Thanks, man. Um, okay. <laughs> so the mom's body with the wife's yeah, soul. What a question. What a question. Or the wife's body with the mom's soul you yeah. picked mom's body with the wife's soul yeah yeah i mean as gross as it you is said your to mom, even imagine you said your mom is hot i didn't say she was hot i said her, <laughs> she's taking good care of herself there's a there's a distinct difference between the two yeah um no I, I look my mom is sweet as pie but knowing that that's my mom's awareness brain in there would freak me out more than it being her body yeah so i, I would like to at least close my eyes and then, <laughs> and just know that it's actually my wife's consciousness in there. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's a gross one, though. What a yeah, terrible, that's a, terrible. That's horrible. There's no winning that. No, really. no. That's like the like you know testicle and a vice grip slowly wound until it pops, or the like slow soldering with a butter knife of your Achilles tendon. Oh yeah, both of those yeah, are just that's no fun. Kill me, yeah. shoot me between the eyes. That's right. Get it over with. Um. Yeah, big touchdown versus the big tackle. You said tackle. Yeah, I mean, look, the, either either as long as we win the game, right? Like I, I, you know, former SEAL, good friend of yours, good friend of mine, mentor of mine, Clint Bruce. Yeah, you know, he he talks a lot about. Look, dude, D, when you played football, did you care about how many tackles you made? Nah, man, it was about winning, you know, and yeah. I think the same thing is true. Like playing my role within wasn't so much about, you know, needing to be the guy in the end zone, but just needing to do my job. And that job as one within that 11 uh, is what I miss most about the game. I mean, yeah. the locker room and just that ability to know that the man to the right and left is held accountable to the same thing and to that standard. And we're only good if we can do that. We can't just rely on the most talented guys on the field because everybody's pretty talented. Yeah. No, I can, I can you know, roll with that mainly because the SEAL teams and teamwork, and you've heard it all from Clint. Yeah. By the way, if you haven't listened to the Clint Bruce interview, you should. I'm it's sure a, it was amazing. It's a couple back. Um, you can check it out. It's, uh, yeah, uh, it's really for us, too. It's all about the mission, and it's all about the guys next to you, and that's it. And you really don't care about anything else but getting out there alive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a dozen donuts or the whole pizza. Yeah, I'm not a sweets guy. I mean, I, I I like this ultra running game of life that I that I pursue now because it allows me to eat things that I normally wouldn't eat, and I yeah. just rationalize that oh, this is good for me right now, you know. Or I'll just run an extra mile. That's it. Or I'll just keep pushing and watch it fall off. <laughs> yeah. um, but now I, I I think pizza would be more of the the 
choice, the the not guilty choice if I had to be forced into that. Yeah, I think that's good. Plus, you can put all the meat on it you want. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, work work life balance or uh, just career success. You yeah, workplace. Yeah. Now I think you know I you know. I'm not paid by the foundation. It's the greatest volunteer CEO job I could ever ask for. I say that I'm going to try my best to not have a big kid job at any time in my life. My model for myself and business has been, you know, uh, I call it the Laird Hamilton model. And, and this is not, you know, don't cite me on that because Laird does not know about this. And if he does, I need to start charging him. But, um, you know, if I like this coffee, right, and it costs me money, let's make it not cost money. Step one. Step two, if I, you know, if it no longer costs me money, let's make it make me some money. If I can do that, then maybe I could even start my own coffee, right, and own that thing and have it make me money. And eventually, you know, you rinse and repeat in different verticals of business, commerce, ultimately, hopefully, get gathering some level of mail money and accruing what you like to do so that you're no longer working. You're no longer a slave to those things. Those all feel like the lifestyle design that you want. Yeah, yeah. And that's the beauty of, again, where I am able to make and earn income is doing public speaking, right? Being a keynote, different corporations. And what naturally happens is I'm, I'm talking some about my story, but more about these adaptive athletes that I'm serving, these people with disabilities, many of which are veterans and first responders. And the influence of that story and the authenticity of, you know, I'm not an NFL guy with my name on the building, you know, and this is my foundation. I show up for just fundraisers. I'm there doing the work. We're there getting into the stuff. We're dealing with, you know, them resisting the change that they so passionately came here for. Mm -hmm. And so for me in that role, it's, it's I have to live it. You know, I have to live it, live it well. And I think that then there's buy-in, there's trust. And so when I tell those stories, those corporations all go, well, what do you need? It's like, well, matter of fact, let's make a three-year deal. Let's make you a title sponsor. Let's, let's, yeah. let's. And those are alignments that, again, are great for them, great for marketing. So my own business approach is, you know, be an entrepreneur, but a social entrepreneur so that there's some type of give back, some type of cause relationship. No, that's cool. And I want to circle back around here in a minute sure. to, you call it lifestyle? Lifestyle design. Okay. We're going to talk about that too. Um, but first, what is the most craziest, scariest, strangest event you've been in your life? And uh, what were the lessons learned from it? Gosh, there's been a few. I had one, I got to do a show uh, for National Geographic that was called The Raft. It was six days in the Bermuda Triangle, no food, no water on a life raft. It's a four by four. They take the canopy off. They mounted three cameras on this aluminum rig. And the, the psychological experiment side of this is that you and a partner are doing so. Now you're paid what you're paid. You have a, a you know, a sea anchor underneath it. Like they, they measured currents or whatever they did science wise to figure out that if we lasted six days, we'd run into this deserted Island. Now we, when we started, there's no land in sight and it was me and a retired, I think she was in mid forties, but retired cop from Foxborough, uh, Boston area. And it's crazy because, you know, you'd think that they'd have vetted out these people a little bit further to the <laughs> point that they'd have any type of survival uh -oh. skills. Not only did she never get off the raft, she didn't help me fish. She barely helped me pump for water. You know, we had a salinizing pump that you could get about an inch of water after an hour of pumping. Oh, nice. And uh, she was just, she sucked, man. She sucked. And so the <laughs> when it went, again, like night one, and the you think Caribbean, perfect temperature. All, no, oppressive heat during the day. And then at night, you're freezing. I mean, now the water is certainly not the Pacific, but it's still, and I luckily know in some good team guys and otherwise it taught me some tricks both on how to tell time off the horizon hey don't get in the water even though it's going to feel warm it'll steal your body temperature faster all those little hacks but night one she was done she wanted to tap and it was if any if your partner tapped you're both out 
So it was the choice, right? Do I lead this person or do I, you know, I'm having a beer back at the, at the resort, you know, tonight. And when I thought about the people that I'm training in my gym was really where I sourced that decision and the decision to stay, lead her to stay. We ended up making it the full time, ended up at that deserted island. Um, So that was one of those, I'll say this, like I had never gone six days without food uh the abs started looking really nice dude by the end of it (laughs) i'm sure if only there were mirrors yes right (laughs) but then uh by the end of it i i learned a lot about the restraint that it took to be a good teammate and that was the most difficult part it was the most difficult part not to blame her not to be resentful (laughs) like right wrong or indifferent i wasn't going to change anything right i tried to motivate her i tried to use tough love tried to use multiple max and and now she stuck it out but she wasn't going to be anybody that was going to offer up uh support in this direction and so i i realized like man leadership real leadership it's not convenient right everybody wants to be the leader when it's comfort convenient when it's when it's you know hey i want to have it but when it's on the line for real and you know everything is against you or it feels like you're out there by yourself that's the choice to lead yourself and others well and that's what went into that decision to stick it out nice yeah so the six days you didn't you didn't catch anything or you no it, it, you guys people can go to youtube and search the raft in my name and they'll find it but <laughs> i so i had we had we had found one of the most concerning things was the amount of trash out there in the middle of the ocean and there had been a hurricane a week before some issues and stuff so i'm sure it stirred it up but i found an old milk jug floating and i and i gathered it up and then we had a knife on board a real dull knife but i whittled out a, a, a spear tip and then we had one oar that i was able to basically fasten it to and in our ditch kit there was a couple of safety pins so i basically you know aimed them to make a sharp tip and i started to dive down I first started tying off uh, seaweed underneath our raft to create an ecosystem because things bigger start to follow when that happens, which is cool until it's dark at night and we're on a soft bottom raft and things start to poke the bottom to check you out. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, like maybe the ecosystem <laughs> wasn't the ecosystem that I wanted where the, yeah. where the, you know, the, the bottom feeders. So I had some, we had some grouper that were following us. I dove down and I thumped it. I hit it. I hit it because when I pulled out, I, I made the mistake of barbing the spear, thinking that uh, that was gonna. But when I pulled it out, then right, the spear came. The spear d- detached uh, with the fish, and the fish was floating. And it looked like you know ten feet, but as clear as that water is, the deeper I would dive down. And this is day three or four. Hadn't eaten, hadn't you know, just had a little bit of water from the pump. So it was, I was depleted. Every time I dive down, I'd start to cramp and lock up and have to come up and surface and then try to go down. I, I couldn't get deep enough to get the fish. So huh. long-winded way of saying, no, I fasted. Yeah, six-day fast. Six-day fast, man. It was some uh. spiritual stuff. <laughs> I bet. Mm-hmm. Was there any hallucinating going on? Any yeah, crazy? a lot of romanticizing, right? It's sort yeah. of I – re- I made the mistake of reading uh, that Louis Zamperini book um, – the concentration camp survivor oh, that yeah. survived at sea and there was like sharks jumping in there one of my asshole friends was like yeah read this on the way bro it'll have you prepared and i'm yeah, like right now all i can think about <laughs> is all the carnage they endured but now nah, it, it it um it, it, you began about day three four when you started thinking about like your mom's banana bread or you know and we're like ch- talking about food as if as if we're preparing a meal right there in front of us and on and some of that was was it felt good it, it gave you a distraction from the suffering yeah but other parts it was like dude at the end of this conversation it ain't no food you know there's no drone ready to deliver this stuff so <laughs> we're kind of creating our own purgatory wow 
That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to check it out. What year did you do? 2016, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, 2016, so 2017. Been, been a bit. No, it was crazy. This guy who did uh, Ultimate Survival Alaska, he did Deadliest Catch. Brian Catalina's his name, was the producer and director. And he called, and I told him initially, I'm like, oh, I got some SEAL buddies. They'd be great for this. He's like, no, no, no. We don't need SEALs. Yeah. What I want is you. And and I said, ah, oh, man, my wife's pregnant with our second right now. No way. She's not going to let me. But planted a seed and luckily my wife knows who she married and was able to go out and do it and i think i'm good on the survival show thing we checked that box yeah you checked it yeah Yeah. you gotta check at least one tv show in your life yep um and did you win anything just won the money that i was pledged up front now just the respect hopefully yeah yeah. nice one fun story if people watch the episode they'll get a kick out of this still accepting investors and ball bomb we uh (laughs) night three as you well know is salt abrasions yeah. Right? Uh, it gets a little spicy uh-huh. and it got real spicy in the general, you know, genital area. Yep. No, it will. And, uh, you know, when you feel like you've been bathed in icy hot, that's, you know, where you start to really think about maybe I can pull the plug on this. And uh, what, it, what, what I found in our ditch kit was an old stick of Blistex. Man, I had the mintiest scrotum anywhere in the Caribbean, dude. I was covering it with it. And it led me to this thought, like, man, what we have chapstick. Why don't we have ball bomb? Yeah. You know, 32 flavors of ball bomb. Yeah. Oh, th- flavors. Still yeah. taking investors. <laughs> Hit me up. Yeah, my buddy, uh, well, there's a company called Derm Dude. Okay. And he's got all these different yeah, see? ball. I don't know what he calls his, though. Like... It's cleaners and this. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's like he's got all of it. So well, I'll yeah. take credit for the market yeah. wave of interest in the. You ball definitely had there. the idea long before him. <laughs> he just came out last couple of years. Perfect. Um, okay, that's good stuff. Now we're dialing a little bit back into you. Sure. Uh, what did it all start? Football for you, or are you just like at just an athlete as a kid and decided football was my thing, or were you one of those yeah. that played all the sports? And- I did play all the sports. My dad was a linebacker for the Ducks, so ah. grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, just the most you know earliest memories I have are in Autzen Stadium and or sitting on my dad's lap learning about football, asking questions. So I always knew it was football. Uh, certainly had aspirations early for you know making it to the top highest level. But it, it, it took me just staying in the present moment, right? Doing what you can with where you are and not not getting so far out in front of yourself. So, you know, I was a skinny pencil neck kid, actually was a quarterback until I got to college. University of Idaho was my only D1 offer. I uh, was able to go there, play as a true freshman, developed, you know, led the nation. Um, well, I was in the top five in tackles pretty much every year, my, my sophomore, junior, and senior season. And it was that, like, hey, the draft's coming up. We see this guy as a good – it was so like the – he was good in high school. Is he good enough to play D1? He's good enough in college. Is he good enough? People thought maybe he has to go to Canada, go to this. And, you know, it was slated as a mid to late round pick, and the draft rolled on. And eventually, I think most of my friends were drunk and passed out by the time my name was <laughs> called. And I was drafted the 252nd pick to the St. Louis Rams, the last pick in the draft, 2008, which made me Mr. Irrelevant. The honorable title of... Do you get a plaque or anything with that? Well, we, so it was in, the draft was rolling on. There was maybe 10 picks left. And someone in the room, um, you know, in my apartment, my draft party, they said, man, I think the top pick wins a car. <laughs> and at the time, all I had was a little 50cc moped in school. So I was like, man, a car would be awesome. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Give me a car. And we looked it up, and it wasn't a car, but there was this whole irrelevant week. This idea of, you know, treating the last pick like the first. And they fly you to Newport Beach, and, you know, they gave me a Lamborghini to drive for the week. There was big parades and roasts and went, you know, VIP at Disneyland, went to the Playboy Mansion. All of these things that were, you know, a blast, but, but the real cornerstone of – 
why I think you, it's about playing the hand that you're dealt is I, we finished rookie camp and I'm, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a player left in the building and the community relations department came down in a panic and was like, hey, we need someone to come and talk to this elementary school right now. Can you come? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. Let's go. And so I'm thinking on the way there, like, all right, what do I have to say to these kids? They probably were expecting Steven Jackson or somebody, <laughs> you know, some big baller. And what I came out of my mouth was this. I said, look, how many of you kids have ever been the last pick on the playground? hands shot up right yeah i said well look i was the last pick just last weekend it's not going to stop me it's not going to stop you either that's right so it's about how you position what people identify as an advantage or disadvantage and then became a starter my rookie year which was great i i felt confident that i was going to change some statistics on mr relevant there's been a lot of positive to of late with brock purdy being a stud um he's done a little more than i have just saying he he definitely put the brand on but <laughs> but now I, I think being a guy who was seen as an underdog in sport help foster my allegiance to people that are marginalized people that are left out people that are ostracized and it certainly has led into my belief system and core values as far as how i've built my gym and the nonprofit work but yeah it was an athlete it just was always football for me and a lot of the scars that i think i endured as a kid those led to me being confident that football was an arena where people wouldn't ask me what the hell was really going on it was just applause and accolades, right? And that, that persona, the ego that was developed through that um, helped me survive some stuff, but it also um, was going to rear its ugly head later on. Mm. And, um, you know, football was the right vehicle for me to, to put on a mask and to build a facade that, although it was important to me, wasn't really who David was. We will be right back after the break. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. So you roll in, rookie. Mm -hmm. You do a good job, obviously. Um, and then how does it go? I mean, like when you're entering a team of veterans, what's the what's the process? Is there some... Yeah, shut right. up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> what are the rites of passage, I guess? Yeah, it, look, there's there's some fun hazing. I mean, yeah. there's the classic you're singing to the vets at dinners or, you know, you're doing the rookie dinners obviously is an expensive tab to take. Uh, but <laughs> but there's – I always I always felt like if I could find a vet who was, you know, 10 years in the league, 12 years in the league, and I just, I just wanted to be his shadow, you know, like let me sponge because there's obviously a reason why you've lasted this yeah. long. Yeah. Um, that was important to me. And just recognizing, too, that, that there was a – a lot of ways to bring value that um, that you had to be humble enough to pursue to show that that you're differentiated from the pack. You know, I was never going to be the guy with the all world talent, but I was always going to outwork, outlearn, and outposition myself for um, being a value add to my team. Maybe that's you know hearing a defensive check when our offense is on the field and then going over to relay that to the offensive line because there was a tell involved. That's what I did as a backup. And I took a lot of pride in that. And I think that um, whether that's in a corporate ecosystem or otherwise, people aren't looking to do more than is required for, of them in an R&R perspective. And that's really a trap. It's, it's how do I bring inherent value and feel good whether people recognize me for it or not. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're a hell of a teammate. That's it, yeah. 
and you never really put yourself or let me rephrase that you never really got down on yourself because of the position you were ever in. You just took those opportunities to learn from it and sure. obviously grow, right? Yeah, I, I ended up um, being a starter my second year. You know, I started the first six games, was playing really incredibly. And then because of a tainted supplement, which it ultimately led to me winning a court case that not only was yeah. I exonerated, but um, I was I was compensated. Actually, that, that money never showed up because these guys are, are, are scum. That to say, though, the exoneration was the thing I cared about. Yeah. But in doing so, my head coach said, look, you don't just walk back in here as a starter. You have to earn it back. And that was a both a difficult thing to hear and yet an honorable thing. And mm -hmm. in fact, I, if I put myself in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. And so I respected that and, and worked my way back and earned it back. And it was, you know, for me, I, I did more than some, less than most to steal a Clint Bruce line. And and it just it just mattered for me to to have been at, at a level where you get experience in that uncommon air. And now being able to seek that standard for all the people that I work with, I, I certainly think that that's part of the gift of enduring what you have to, to, to sustain. I mean, every single day you... We call him the Grim Reaper, but the front office guy is waiting at the doors, and you don't know if coming in from practice that he's going to grab you, and that's it. You're cleaning yeah. out your locker, or if, you know you don't make eye contact with him ever. You know, you're always <laughs> yeah. eyes down. But but yeah. luckily, I, I was able to to do what I needed to 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 establish my role. Yeah, you did, and uh, get knocked down for something you know obviously out of your control what was yeah. that company what was that supplement are you allowed to yeah well it was a, a company that's obviously no longer and if you can recall back to when the ravens were in the super bowl ray lewis's last year this guy tried to go to the press and say that ray lewis was taking these supplements it was a it was called swats but it was a deer antler velvet type of spray what's crazy is on document all right so we had a little power outage texas thunderstorms do that um Continuing on, we're talking about football. We're talking about all kinds of good stuff. After, so, okay, so you go through the NFL. NFL you've had your ups and downs. Um, then what? Yeah, I mean, it, for me, football was life. My identity right, was fully tethered to what I did on the football field. And... You know, when that is threatened, then you you have two options, right? One is just just reckon with the reality that you have to ask the question, who am I without this? Mm -hmm. Or um, avoid that question and numb yourself, cope. And I chose the latter. I decided that the, you know, what started with prescriptions, opiates, Xanax, otherwise, that it was easier for me just to numb myself, right? And, and, and as a young man who had um, some accessible income to utilize for that, I was spending, you know, a grand and two grand a week on opiates, narcotics, and just numbing myself out. Wow. And so even before I ended up with the, you know, career ending shoulder injury, um, the writing was on the wall, but I was too prideful, too scared, um, and too ego driven to myself with this identity crisis or not being able to recognize the identity crisis that I just decided to try to outrun the snowball that was growing behind me running downhill. And eventually that thing flattened me. I, I, landed me in a seven day detox. I lost 34 pounds, had two seizures, was puking and shitting all over myself. And one, the third night, which was, if you've ever come off of drugs like that, the third night is war waged against your body. It's sort of the final push of the drugs just demanding and commanding you that all they need is your soul and that you're going to do whatever they're going to do, whatever they need to, to you to, to find that drug. And so I, I had opened my eyes to find a, a 
plate of food next to me and I opened up the tray and it was tuna casserole, which like, God, <laughs> yeah. you know, no one likes tuna casserole. Yeah. This was cold hospital tuna casserole. God. And, um, you know, I, I went to pick it up. I could hardly open my hands. They were so tremored up and like I had all these tremors and twitches and seizing and, and, I, and I went to turn to take it to the microwave and I couldn't even stand. It fell, it shattered and I was on the ground and I was embarrassed and ashamed. I was scraping up broken plate tuna casserole with my hands and the nurses rushed in and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I thought they were going to help me clean up the mess. No, they restrained me. These two little nurses that, I mean, shouldn't have been able to have enough strength to like even, you know, do anything to me. They, they restrained me back for fear. I was going to use the broken plate to try to kill myself. Wow. And this was a bottom that I, I, once I realized what they were doing, it just, in that moment, I gave up. Like mm. I, that was probably the, f the real true essence of surrender for me. And I prayed for an angel that night, a nurse named Tina came in and I'm pretty sure she gave someone all of her shifts. Cause she sat with me. She prayed with me. She read scripture. She was exactly what I prayed for. And I remember the morning of the fourth day, um, being in the shower is the first time I was able to do anything besides lay in bed in misery. And I just remember thanking God for this sort of new lease on life. And I remember saying like, God, if you can just show me where my gifts match someone's needs, where all the attributes that made me great at football can make me even better person. Like I'll honor you and I'll do that in service to other people. I had no idea what that looked like. You know, no idea what that meant. Right. And, and so fast forward now, you know, 11, 12 years, yeah. I could have never imagined how rich life could be when I just asked the simple question is like, how can you use me? Mm -hmm. And when you're honest and earnest about that question, be, be careful because you got to be careful what you pray for. You know, pretty soon God's going to start bringing opportunities and, and you have to be attuned and then take decisive action to maximize them. You know, don't balk with the opportunity to, to, to do the thing that scares you because on the other side of that is, is really where you develop true faith or even on the front end of that is where the faith is developed. And then you see the, um, I guess the confirmation that God has been behind us. He just needs, we just need to trust him. And it was the faith always there? Before? Yeah, I grew up at church for yeah. sure. I think my version of, you know, having to ask the hard question, which is what do I actually value versus what am I supposed to value? I think beliefs can be installed and instilled in us. And then you have to take the chance to go and vet those out, just like the human performance stuff, being your yeah. own guinea pig. I watched my parents uh, operate with such compassion. We'd pick up people with disabilities, homeless people on our way to work. And when people ask me, like, where do you get that sort of, um, you know, compassion is never convenient thing. And it's from them. It's from watching them and being a kid that was like, you know, this person had an accident in our van. Why are we shampooing this socks? You know, we like this, like mom, like why? And she, yeah. she said, she said, Jesus was interrupted all the time. And he always had a, an opportunity to be able to be present with that person. So I think that I've stolen what we've tr created at my gym is an ecosystem that's, that's built on what I've learned in church, um, you know, f sports for sure, even 12 step, you know, and yeah. getting sober and getting clean. Those have been critical to um, where I think I've selectively and, and cleverly rearranged some of those principles to create the culture that we have at the gym. Yeah, yeah. And was the addiction piece connected to true injury or was it because of the people you're hanging out with? It was child trauma, man. When I was 10, I was sexually abused by a neighbor, uh, a man who was 17, 18 years old, who I wanted validation from. And, and um, you know, it was clear that when that happened, I felt broken. I felt, I felt confused. Mm. I was, you know, I, I say this with complete confidence, yeah, yeah. certainty. I don't make it to the NFL unless 
that happens because it was the beautiful thing that allowed me to achieve so that no one asked me what the the real shit was going on right and the real stuff that i needed to address that wound was so deep that i suppressed it for more than two decades when i was in rehab and therapy the counselor asked me if anything like that had occurred and i answered honestly and i said no well that night dreams started happening and the lids started to come off mm. and then when it eventually i admitted it and admitted it to my parents and otherwise and thought it was like okay cool now that that's out we'll just move on and it was two years or so of me every single night with the same nightmare and i was physically killing my father um either by choking him to death or just beating him to death and um you know what any kid wants or any human needs is this ability for someone to look at him and say it's not your fault i love you and that goodwill hunting moment that i sought so deeply uh it didn't come and it didn't come and it hadn't came and i i eventually realized i'd built resentment against my dad not that he could have done anything different from what occurred but that i needed some permission you know i had this belief system with church and growing up that you couldn't be mad at god god knows everything god ordains all of our steps right like god is perfect and so don't question him and so I remember exactly where I had a big keynote on Park Avenue for Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan the next morning. I had delays. I got in at like 1 a.m. And I'm like, I'm going to get three or four hours of sleep already. And I couldn't sleep. And I remember dropping to my knees and God showing me that it was the resentment I had against my dad. And then I had it out with God that night truly had it out and once i finally got that done and i needed to be real and honest with that then the healing started to happen and i i say this and you know i built this gym for people that have disabilities and and our sort of position is less than because that's a population that's kind of how i saw myself hmm. And yeah. so I built the gym to help myself and they gave me the permission, right? If I'm going to be the one to preach that they need to go into their scars to learn about what's truly, um, you know, untouchable or indestructible in them, then I need to do the same thing. So that's one scar that again, you, you know, you don't see it from the outside looking at me, but I think as all humans were dealt those things. And those are actually, there's a cool quote by Rumi that says the wound is where the light enters. So if we can't honor that wound and see it as value, see it as, if if not with if not this happening then none of these other things i wouldn't have those in my life i, I say it's not in spite of that but it's because of that that i mm. get to be the person i'm equipped to be the person um and i'm called to be that person to give hope to others in a dark spot yeah so i think the faith has always been there but the refinement of actionable faith not just this like well it's all in god's best interest being a little bit like yeah yes okay. and we have a say about how we decide to operate right. and how we view things yeah well then you can almost reverse that quote too like hey you nothing really moves forward until you show the wound or identify the wound to the light right, right? and Bingo. then uh, let things fold from there but yep. so dad yeah so where is that now yeah so it was it was a wild experience because when i finally mustered up the courage to ask him for forgiveness for what i was harboring in this yeah. weird crusade he said thank you now i thought i didn't need anything from him <laughs> and then in, in his response <laughs> yeah. saying thanks i realized oh man i gotta go back to the to the to the cutting board i gotta go back to the, yeah. to the workshop and it was almost a year to the date we were actually in the car driving to fort worth for the armed forces bowl for the second year in a row and he was in town and i and i finally turned to him and i said a similar thing and this time i really did need nothing and he said thanks again and i realized that this is the bigger lesson here is like 
he comes from three generations of Marines, right? His father was 31 years in the Corps, three wars, like was an air winger, but just an just a animal stud. Yeah. There was no I love yous. There was no expression. And he's like, he's trying to do the best with what he was given too. Not to make any excuses, yeah. but some level of what I needed and what he was capable of giving was disconnected. And so it was either up to me to just accept what is and realize that he isn't capable maybe of going that far or even if he is it'll come in the right time in his timing it's not up to me then i gave myself permission to let go of the need for him to somehow reciprocate or have this conversation and today you know i see this differently with like my youngest my my boy who's two you know and like the amount of times i see my my dad say i love you to my little girls or to have it's amazing when you're like well sometimes it just skips a generation Sometimes they don't give themselves permission to do the thing that was right up in front of them. And that's where I get to break that cycle as well. Wow. That's powerful stuff, dude. Yeah. I hope uh, everyone who's listening is pulling and extracting all the good stuff out of that, too. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. it. Um, all right. So now, transitions. We talk about transitions a lot because for military guys, it can be an issue. Even, I mean, obviously, for the people that you're dealing with every yeah. day, that's an even bigger transition. Yeah. Um, I even heard that a lot of people, you are providing the transition, even though they probably have had injuries or issues mm-hmm. for years before they find you. But when they do come to you in eight to nine weeks, and when they leave, they're turning around looking for homes in Dallas, yeah. right? And they're yeah. looking for, hey, I want to go yeah. back there because there's community, there's people that get me, yeah. and they finally get to go into a world that uh, is very accepting of them and everything they got going on. Mm-hmm. So your transition, NFL, yep. um, you know, we call it going from hero to zero. I remember my day very distinctly, you know, I... In the military, you get these really cool CAC cards, right? Mm -hmm. It's a white card with this computer chip on it and this Mm -hmm. colored picture of you on it, and it can get me into anywhere. And then you go over to personnel on the day you're retiring, and you hand it in. And then they hand you this flimsy blue-green, you can't, this black-and-white photo, laminated mm-hmm. piece of crap mm-hmm. card. That's the transition, yeah. right? And it's within about 30 minutes. You give away the one, you get the other, and then you're on an airplane, and that's it. That's the end of your yeah. military career. Um, I tell people all the time, I'm still transitioning seven, eight years later, yeah. but uh, how was it for you? Yeah, well, I alluded to the, the the bottom that was the identity crisis or the lack of being willing to address the question. So I think, you know, on the heels of that rehab, um, you know, I used to say something to my wife all the time, which was, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. And one day she just, I think, was fed up with me and she said, yeah, but do you want me to? I had to think about that. Like, no, God, no, I wish that upon no one, not even my worst enemy would I wish upon the drug detox and the situations that I led myself to. And so then when I heard veterans, go ahead. Just as a quick review, you you were married during all that. So we're dating during all that. She stuck by my side. We ended up getting engaged on the heels of rehab and otherwise. And then we were married just under a year later and pregnant right after that. So it was all sort of within a year and a half. She's very, yeah. Well, actually, so she didn't know she'd never done a drug in her life. When, when I told her that I needed help, we were taking off on a plane to Hawaii right after season. I knew she was, a captive 
you know, audience. He couldn't leave. So I just turned around like, when we get home, you can't take me home. I got to go to a hospital. I'm addicted to this, this. And I think I may have brought enough to get through this week. And she's like, what? <laughs> you know, Hooray for the vacation that you actually bought me because you, f- you were so high that you forgot to give me a Christmas present. Oh, man. That's a true story. I don't even remember buying it. But yeah, I was, I was pretty messed up at that time. Yeah. So on the heels of that, like going back to the identity crisis and just the sort of bottom, it was, you know, my vets at the gym were saying civilians just don't understand. And I agree, they don't. Mm-hmm. But then I asked them the question, like, but do you want them to? And they're like, yeah, there's something I do. It, it made that true. But but the real reality piece is like, no, you don't want them to have to go to Sangin or Candleheart or wherever it is and endure what you did mm-hmm. um, to have this realization. And so what we try to focus on is identify the similarities, not the differences, right? Like, again, yeah, we bleed red, but that's a cop-out, right? Sweat, though, is different. Right. Mm-hmm. If somebody is willing to sweat, that sweat equity, then suddenly that ability to do some hard, that shared suffering, you start to galvanize respect. And I think that's the basis of understanding we can have completely different religious views or political views or worldviews, but effort is something that is agnostic of all those things. And so the transition for me from um, football to what I'm doing now, really the through line was the gym. Right where I could use hard work to foster my potential and develop more. When my heart rate went up, that voice in my head started to talk. And the relationship with that voice in my head that's not paying rent was really the merit to me to decide what I had in my future. And when I did that and started doing those hard things and trusting that the people I was doing hard things with could teach me both about myself and others, that's when the culture of the gym started to, to thrive. And I, I really, early on, I met Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, quadruple yeah. amputee. He he got blown up when a five living combat injured that got all, lost all four limbs and lived. We've worked with four of the five, and I realized there's a huge void post rehab. Cash runs out, insurance runs out, and and where do these people go? And there's rec based stuff, right? There's the rehab sort of cycle, but where are they in a place where they're not served pity? Um, and that's why at our gym we have a box taped off on the floor that says sympathy box. If you want sympathy, go stand in the box. You're not going to get it anywhere in the gym. That's right. Because victim, the idea of feeling sorry for someone, you won't hear anyone on my staff say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They'll say, man, that sucks. Or I hate that for you. What is in our control? Where can we put our focus and attention today, right now, that is part of what is in your control to help change and or learn from whatever you're going through. And so it's, I don't care if it's a, you know, amputee falls and of course, naturally everybody wants to help him. And I go, no, 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 let him figure it out. That's an ecosystem where people that have been, have, have been, it's been softened. The truth has been softened for them. They're desperate for a truth bomb. They're desperate for someone to look at them in their eyes and treat them like a whole person, right? We say at the gym that if you treat someone broken, they act that way. If you walk up to somebody and demand that they see themselves as whole, you treat them as such, and then you call them to a level of effort that they maybe don't even believe they have, but then they start to step into that. that that's the ecosystem where I, I thrive. That's my why. And that you made a great point. I remember going for us, we go to this thing called NICO. If you're having nightmares, PTSD, Mm -hmm. any of this weird stuff going on, then at the beginning, it was very select. And you show up to NICO at Walter Reed Mm -hmm. and it's 30 days. You're admitted. Right. So I show up and when I showed up, I'm in good spirits. Within five days of hanging out there, I Everything that I was there for was exacerbated, and I almost <laughs> felt myself getting depressed, hanging out with depressed people, yep. doing this group therapy, banging on bongos, fucking yep. art therapy, <laughs> and painting, and all this crap, yes. and doing yoga. And 
though each one of those things were kind of a way for you to do a process of elimination on what works for you. Sure. But the way everyone there was treating you mm-hmm. was as if you were a victim and they yep. were acting like, oh, yeah, yep. you, you've been through so much. And yep. we're, we're so sorry that you've had to do that, but yep. we're here to help. But the longer I stayed, the worse it got. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate to interrupt you, but it's a no, great it, point you're making. Fantastic you, point. You show up to something. Yeah. And... Yeah, you need to be called out and yeah. put on the spot, and I think that's when those internal like uh, battles go on for you to come out on the other end better or smarter, whatever yeah. the case is, right? I mean, you're right. There's a need for you to be able to look to your right and left and be a little bit concerned with whether you fit, and I yeah. mean that in an elevating way. Yeah, like if there's a little bit of kind of anxiety or fear inherently that like, man, what am I doing here? Like, I don't think I belong because these people are such an echelon higher than me. Stick it out. Right. Stick it out. You might surprise yourself. Yeah. If you're in a situation where you're like, man, all of these people are just sponging me. They're just sucking the life out of me. Yeah. Move to a different arena. The the you, You're going to know those positive enablers, right? Like I, I know that there are certain people that when I get myself into a state when I'm blowing up in a 100-mile race or something like that, there's a select few people that I know can say the one thing or say nothing and be the, the asset that I need in that moment. And that's a small nucleus of folks. Then there's probably the outer ring of that that I allow people to have access into. And then there's the broader like, hey, man, I've worked out with Dave before. you know, And those people I would certainly never rely on to be a battle buddy or a foxhole friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people that I do, I think those are the, those are the relationships that if they, if they give me an answer that I don't like, I know that it's, there's, there's something for me to do with it in a, in an actionable way. If they tell me what I want to hear, then I realize that, uh, they're just scared of the situation too. And yeah, so yeah. it's seeking, it's seeking out those growth producing fear encounters and being okay with the fact that you got to look dumb at something long enough to become good at it. Cause we, 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 you know, you, you hear guys say like, I reached the pinnacle in, in service or, you know, like nothing else I'm going to do is ever going to reach that. Maybe, or maybe it just becomes a different measuring stick. And maybe that measuring stick is less about you as the destructor. Maybe it's more about you as the healer. Mm-hmm. You know, you live your long enough as that you watch the pendulum swing and that's the dichotomy of life and the paradox that, um, you know, without having, I do a talk when I do leadership stuff, uh, conference style, and there's three things we identify as the most horrific, tragic things in our life, but it always leads to the three most triumphant and significant things in our life. Yeah. So you got to have both to be able to see the bigger picture and that's definitely my story i like it man and i and i do agree with you i think uh guys do get pretty narrow-minded they think there's like this one silo called life when reality life is full of silos yeah and so yeah you may get to the top of one in the military or whatever it is you're doing or for you as the nfl but there's all these other silos to choose from to go and try and you know get to the top of there's also this like i mean i've done a number of different plant medicine journeys ayahuasca a dozen or so times ibogaine 5meo got the opportunity to go down with a bunch of teams guys in in mexico to do those what was fascinating about that was not one of those guys or myself included had anything to do with anything except for their childhood trauma Mm-hmm. It all went back to dad or to not having the dad or to some level of abuse or, you know, they fucked with and then said, like, I'm not going to be fucked with again. Right. Oh, I'm going to yeah. take this oath. I'm going to change this thing. And that works until it doesn't. Right. It gets you there, but it can't get you to the next thing. And I think that's the opportunity that we have is 
using things like the gym or things that you're passionate about, right? Maybe, you know, people use fishing, people use hunting different ways. Like, how do you use that as the arena for people to be willing to open up and really share what the hell's going on? Because those deep, deep insidious scars, those are the things that I think with putting light on them, you start to learn from them and then you can foster the opportunity to help somebody else enduring a similar pain. That yeah. to me is even more significant than hooking and jabbing with bad guys. Now you're eradicating the bad guy within. Oh yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's the piece that I want to be a part of. Yeah. You, you, you nailed it. Cause you know, you've heard it. I wrote about it. It's uh, you know, you look at a lot of your special operation guys, they all come from broken homes. Mm. Uh, you go start buds with a bunch mm -hmm. of guys that come from the perfect family. Yeah, the Silver Spoon Boys. They, 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 they you know, they very rarely make it. Um, your Olympic athletes very rarely make it. I mean, none of them make it because yeah. they're not broken enough. Mm. And that, whatever that kind wound, that demon, whatever, man. yeah, whatever that wound or demon is, becomes your armor. But like you said, eventually it runs out. <laughs> yeah. Then you got to face it. Yep. Um, man, we could go on and on, uh, but. We have to put you through your little uh, yeah, put me through scenario it. here. And this one's kind of tailored. It's uh, kind of sort of tailored to you on based on your little experience. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. We will be right back after the break. Here we go. Your hypothetical crisis. You're enjoying a day of swimming and snorkeling in crystal clear waters of the tropical beach. You can tell we're going into summer, so you yep. gotta like have one of these scenarios. As you explore the underworld of the ocean in which you're at, you suddenly catch a glimpse of a large shadow moving swiftly towards you. Do you A, stay calm and slowly back away, or B, kick with force and get to shore as quickly as possible? <laughs> well, my head tells me to play it cool and play it calm. I think the ability to quickly assess what allies or resources that I have in the water, right? Like, I mean, again, if this thing is is is, is pursuing me at speed, you're not. It's it, you're in its ecosystem, so you're not going to outswim it. So, in that instance, right? I think gauging quickly the rate of speed or force that this thing's pursuing me would give me an instant opportunity to decide if, again, am I going to poke this thing in the eyes? Am I going to eye gouge and throat punch this thing? Or is this something that, um, I mean, I, I, again, there's the, and I try to deal with this. I don't care if it's somebody swerving suddenly on the highway or otherwise, but I, I love this garment that I wear because it tells me about my heart rate. Right. And I like to go back and see, right? Like we had a bobcat stalk me the other day, uh, maybe a year ago actually, um, while running. And it was right at dawn. And that initial is like you become aware of it. And I thought to myself like, take off, you know, but I'm not that fast. So I, at least not from this Bobcat's perspective. So I, I picked up a rock, right? Slowly began backing away. I didn't have a blade on me. I was going to make it to the truck to get it, but just slowly backing away with that rock up, um, to the point that if I need to throw it, I could, you know? And, yeah. and so I think in the water, it'd be the same thing. Like try to take a conscious pause to assess and then decide if again shore is close enough or whatever else is that I can grab onto or grip to. Yeah. That would be my move. There you go. Assessment yes. over panic. Good, because panic is contagious, and you don't want yeah. that. So, 
yeah, stay calm, slowly back away. You don't know what you're dealing with yet. It's just a shadow, but yeah. for sure thing, if you start trying to outswim something, you're not going to outswim nope. it. I always tell people I do the running of the bulls. I'm always like, it's running with the bulls. You're never running away from the bulls. <laughs> You know, yep. uh, so yes, you stay calm and you slowly back away, trying not to draw more attention to yourself. The shadow reveals itself as a massive shark, circling around you with intense curiosity. Do you maintain eye contact with the shark and slowly swim towards the shore, or treat it like an active shooter and swim in a zigzag pattern, making sudden changes in direction while swimming to shore? Yeah, I don't think the second's going to help a bit. Um, I I think back to the, do you want to lose your arm or a leg? Maybe I just ante up and give it just an arm. Just give it some. Just take this. Maybe then it can chew on it while I swim. I better have a good one-arm stroke from go. that point on. But now I, I think if I become, it's clear that swimming to shore or whatever is not going to be feasible, you're going to have to figure out a way to try to make yourself a, a bow up a little bit and just try to deter this thing right and hopefully it's not a, a critical mass <laughs> bite and you can just get a limb out <laughs> that is your true. way to shore although now you chum the water so then his yeah. boys are coming yeah, and yeah. And it just gets worse from there all in there is bad yeah and there's a uh, i don't know if you've heard the story about the guy in montana that killed a grizzly bear with his bare hands and there's like a dedicated statue for this guy yeah and the way that he did it was uh it's hard to say but i think it was luck right when this grizzly's coming at him yeah his fist ended up going down the gri grizzly bear's throat and then he just held on just and the grizzly bear out. choked to death on his arm <laughs> what? right and died yeah and this guy walked away i mean phenomenal so <laughs> but unfortunately with a shark yeah. uh yeah it's a little too big of a mouth to be trying to think that your arm well you no. got big arms you i might, don't you know might fill it up. i don't know man That's... Maybe, maybe you get half your torso in there and let them choke out i don't know Wow. Um, but yeah, maintaining eye contact with the shark and slowly swimming towards the shore is probably yeah. the best idea. So good job there. Did we do a toxicology on this bear? Did this guy <laughs> not? I'm thinking he might have drugged it. There might have been some poison, and then he just like oh, yeah, maybe you never know. And this was uh, this was uh, this has been quite some. We're talking decades. Okay. That this guy did well, that. That's so legit. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, Nuts. You maintain eye contact with the shark and you slowly swim towards the shore, keeping your movement steady and controlled. The shark starts to swim a little bit closer, mm -hmm. displaying signs of aggression. So, do you A, try to punch or kick the shark to defend yourself, or B, position yourself in a way that protects your vital organs? I think you got to swing. I think you have to. I don't think a kick is going to be placed direct enough. I think if you were to try to kick your body the body position in the water has to counterbalance right so i think that you have to try to use something with the arm knowing that maybe with the other arm you could try to deflect or, or protect the body <laughs> but yeah you, you're talking a, a push pull motion all in one fail swoop i uh i don't like my chances yeah no it's uh i've always interested i always ask people i mean have you ever tried to punch in the water how fast do you think you really are how much power do you think you really have yeah, it doesn't feel too much right no. i think if the punch started I'm, I'm i'm up on the surface and i start here sure now i'm gonna build some Momentum some velocity yeah. and then crash through the water which is gonna slow me down then hopefully hit whatever the hell it is i'm trying a shark yep um yeah i don't know did you were you in buds when they were doing the like weaponized dolphin tests and the dolphins were just like 
racking guys and throwing them out of the water. Clint Bruce talks about this. He says it's like I'm glad he talks about it. Okay, because it, <laughs> it does open the door for me to talk about. Okay, it. good. Because um, right. yeah, I don't that we we die we I dove against those uh, dolphins <laughs> probably a dozen times. Okay, yeah, and they'd put. I mean, this because this answer the punch in the water question because it doesn't work. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, especially. I mean, those dolphins are. I mean, obviously they can they can kill a great white. So yeah. um, most people don't know a dolphin getting up to 30, 40, whatever, yeah. sp- fifty miles an hour underwater, and when it it's hits a torpedo. you, I mean, it kills you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they would put, you know, at the time in the smaller platoons, it'd be fourteen of us, so that'd be seven dive pairs yep. in the bay in San Diego release one dolphin and that dolphin would go around and notionally kill all of us spread out miles apart in a bay hidden in ships piers you name it it would find you kill you uh and i think it was all within you know 10 minutes i mean those things are so smart and so squared away on what they do it's actually a really funny story we use you know these buddy lines Mm -hmm. and we're diving drager and drager is a closed circuit 100 percent oxygen rebreather so no bubbles and it allows you to stay under for like three hours straight Mm -hmm. right um and my and i was a new guy and first time diving against these things and my chief uh he, we're on on the buddy line, so he decided he's going to wrap himself around one of the big poles or structures that hold a pier up. Okay, yep. Okay, yep. like a pylon, and he just wraps bear hugs it and wraps his feet around everything around it as best he could, and he just sits there. And then I went down to the bottom. I'm still on my buddy line, and then I laid down at the bottom of that same pylon, right? And uh, all you hear in the water, and sound in water is omnidirectional. You don't know where it's coming from, right? It's just all you hear is... <laughs> and you don't even like, man, is that close? Is it far? Where the hell is this thing, right? And uh, and before you know it, I feel my line getting pulled, and I'm laying on the bottom face down. I tried to cover myself up with sand. Uh-huh. And I look up, probably the most surreal sight. It's daylight, and you see that dolphin just perfect curve of its body. Like, and it's looking right at my chief. My chief is got like this, his hands up <laughs> like this, right? And that thing is just kind of looking at him back and forth and then making his little click sounds and then would punch with his beak right into the Drager. <laughs> and these are chest-mounted rigs. Yeah, yeah. And I'd hear my chief go, Ugh! and then it would sit there and it would just look and... <laughs> and then it would do it again, right? And what these dolphins have is a big styrofoam cone on their nose. And when it releases, that means they won. Yeah. And then they swim away. Yep. And this thing wasn't coming off. So it just kept hitting <laughs> my chief in the chest over and over. And you just hear him, oh, oh. <laughs> and then eventually he's swinging back in the water. So this goes back to this question. You yep. really think... Yep. Your punch underwater is effective. Uh, no, it's not because it was like watching something in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, and it would hit it would hit this damn dolphin in the side of its head, and it was nothing. The, the, the dolphin's just like, what, what are you doing? Why yeah. are you petting me? Yeah, right now? exactly. I'm trying to do my yeah. job, and you're petting me. Yeah, right. Every punch was nothing. It's almost like martial arts, right? How do you use the dolphin's momentum <laughs> yeah. against some type of a thing? Yeah, but. it's it was pretty surreal, and yeah, That's those nice. things are uh, those so. Then are the dolphin came for you next, or well, how did that? So 
eventually Chief got smart enough to just pull the damn styrofoam uh, cone I'm off done. of its nose. <laughs> it went to the surf, it started to float, and then the dolphin hung out for about a second, notices it's gone, went, and then swam off. Got it. Didn't even mess with me. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, pretty interesting. <laughs> but then you had to do it another 11 times or something like that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to feel the rest. No, yeah. There was one that was named uh, Jake, and I guess he had started getting so violent like I guess he broke a team guy's back. Hit him, hit him in the back, snapped Cheap his back. Shot. You know, Dang. underwater on a dive, and they were like, "All right, time to retire this yeah, guy." Jake's yeah, Jake's out. Jake from Jake's State out. Farm. Um, but yeah, anyway. Okay, so yes, That's... position yourself in a way so you kind of protect yourself. Good answer. Yeah, the kicks and the kicks and the punches and all yeah. that aren't going to work. Nope. So you position yourself in a way protects your vital organs, keeping your arms and legs in close and tight. The shark lunges at you, attempting to bite. Do you, A, defend yourself by gouging at the shark's vulnerable areas, such as the eyes or the gills, or dive underwater and swim away from the shark? <laughs> Definitely A. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and so going back to it, and for listeners out there, um, just recently there was a shark attack on the news. A guy got latched onto, I believe it was in Hawaii, and uh, the only thing that he could get a hold of was the gills. And he said as soon as he stuck his hands into the gills, that shark immediately released and ran away. Mm. Um, it's a very sensitive spot for for a shark. Remembering sharks are fish. They're not mammals like a, right. like a dolphin. So you grab a hold of the gills, uh, that thing is like, nope. That's like equivalent to grabbing on to its balls. Yeah. yeah. Okay, check. Um so you grab and tear at the shark's gills, and uh, this scares it away. So, do you swim to the bottom of the ocean, locate a sharp rock or weapon in case <laughs> the shark returns, <laughs> or just swim back to shore? Yeah, get the hell out of there, man. That's right. B, swim back to shore. As you swim back to shore, you notice blood around in the water. You are bleeding from a laceration that you didn't even know you got in your upper arm. Uh, once you make it to shore, do you A, clean the wound and apply pressure, or B, look for a lifeguard and minister first aid? Uh, I mean, if that depends on the volume of blood that I'm losing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if it's the nature that, I mean, I would assume there's probably not a lifeguard nearby on duty. Uh, but if there was, I'd certainly be, you know, addressing my wounds, hopefully yeah. being able to apply a tourniquet if necessary. That's right. Um, and then transporting or figuring out more. Uh, legit medical attention at that point yeah I remember surfing once in uh, Santa Monica um, and surfer got a fin cut and it looked I mean it did look I mean she was bleeding hard it was bleeding a lot like it was yeah. a pretty big gash and the the nature of her running and panicking and just watching blood spit out of this thing yeah. it was like just stop just slow the hell down just right. sit, sit down we can freaking tear off a you know a belt loop of a of a board shorts or whatever whatever we had right and tag it up but she wouldn't she wouldn't stop even for we had to like we had to force her to we had to grab her and tackle her essentially and sit her down and i've never seen a boyfriend run so fast in my whole life he yelled shark and was running on the beat i'm like what you thought the shark was gonna grow legs he just left her he took off he wasn't cut at all i'm like maybe you guys need some relationship conversation yeah, for this too but boy yeah well, yeah you make great points yeah you want to clean the wound apply pressure or you're already yeah. in salt water which is one of the best right. things for any wound most people don't know that but it's great yeah um apply pressure uh, remain calm. Running around in a frenzy isn't going to help blood flow. Nope. Um, re 
applying pressure once again gets coagulation get going if you can uh if you feel like you need to throw a tourniquet on go for it it's not uh, it's been proven now time and time again with the battles in afghanistan and iraq that what used to be a uh last choice uh like tourniquets they used to be the last choice became the first choice once we started applying them and keeping them on for 96 hours straight and the limb and the nerves and everything was still fine. So if you have tourniquets, I highly recommend it. I carry uh, a couple in my bags everywhere I go. There's always a tourniquet. Uh, and the only rule really these days is go high or die. So you want to go all the way up into the axillary, uh, lock it down, or the inguinal area if it's on your leg, crank it down till the bleeding stops and you're good to go. Crank it way down. Yeah, it takes a lot yeah, and it's going to hurt. hurt that person. Um, you have dressed the wound, uh, and you've lost, uh, you know, a lot of blood. You're feeling a little lightheaded. So do you drive to the nearest <laughs> hospital or use your cell phone to call for help? Yeah, cell phone. <laughs> uh, most of the time I'm in any situations like we're describing, there's never a lifeguard. There's never my car or a phone. It's like, you yeah. know, I feel like in Gladiator when he's taking the, like, cornmeal and stuffing the, like, the, yeah. <laughs> the scar down. If you use whatever you whatever you have there and, and trust that panic is going to do nothing. Yeah, there you go. So you're going to call for help. Yeah. Hopefully you have a cell phone. Hopefully it's charged. If you're traveling overseas, you got a SIM card. Yep. Good job. Okay. So you use your phone. You uh, call. You obviously, operator tells you help is on the way. Um, some people on the beach who saw what happened uh, came to wait with you. Do you want to sit upright or do you want to lay down and elevate your legs slightly? Mm, I would lay down and elevate. That's right. Depending on where the wound is. The lightheadedness definitely yeah. tells you blood to the core, blood yeah. to the head needs to go in that direction in order yeah. to just maintain and prevent shock. So while you wait, do you, oh, you elevate the legs, you keep uh, to get your lightheadedness under control. Uh, the people on the beach come over with a blanket to keep you warm. Ambulance arrives, and you have just survived this podcast. Yeah. Good job. We made it. it. It's not that bad. We did it. Um, and for everybody listening, where can they find you? Learn yeah. more about uh, Adaptive Training Foundation yeah. and everything else you got going on. Yeah, you can find me online, social media for sure, just my name. You can check out Adaptive Training Foundation. Say your name social. again. Spell your last name. David Vibora, V like Victor, O, B like boy, O-R-A. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, if people are interested in checking out the gym, I get this question a lot. Like, how do we help? Right? How does It is a... 501c3 so completely non-profit but i don't care if it's buying a t-shirt or making a donation right those t-shirts the proceeds from that go back to keeping everything 100 percent cost free you mentioned exos yeah api um you know that was where i trained for the nfl combine before i went out and i love that they just said look you don't worry about anything you just come to work Right? You just come with yeah. elite effort every day, awesome. and we're going to take care of it. So that's what we do here. We fly them here. We house them. We feed them. We train them. And again, even though market entry may be that they lost a limb or had a spinal cord injury or something like that, it's about this part. right? It's about the shift from them, like I had to make from you know the transition from football, which is the shift from extrinsic worth, value, and motivation to intrinsic. You know, Discovering and rediscovering where your gifts may match someone's needs. And in fact, the scars that you've been dealt may actually be the exact qualifiers for you to have an opportunity to deal hope to somebody you know it, it, we can't oftentimes control what happens to us but the story the narrative that we have the way that we can share it when our athletes come to us it's an orientation they'll all go i just want to feel normal again yeah and i get where that comes from but imagine if i went to compliment you and i called you normal right <laughs> yeah. you punch me right in the teeth like right, i don't want right. to be called normal yeah so we say it's a harley quinn quote but normal is a setting on the dryer 
No one likes to be called normal. How about uncommon? How about uncommon? Uncommon something that, look, you mentioned it earlier. Like, I, I don't believe anyone's that special. Mm-hmm. But I do believe there's uniqueness and the things that have occurred to you aren't the same as me But a lot of the principles that make us aspire to be something beyond what we are is where The real magic of between two people that story connects us And so you don't have to have had been a Navy SEAL or an NFL player to connect with a lot of what we're talking about The mm-hmm. cop-out is well, I'm not Clint. Uh, I'm ne- I've never played in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 man. There's there's there, there's truths along the human experience. And so if you, you know, appreciate this message and want to dig in more, this is what we're about at, at the Adaptive Training Foundation. It's what I'm about too. And uh, hopefully that inspires you. But beyond that, take inspiration and convert it into aspiration. If it just stays an inspiration, you're going to look at that. What's the hit of dopamine I need today? Yeah. Yeah, that stuff washes off, man. Figure out what it is for you and go climb your own Kilimanjaro. That's right. You know, figure out a way to put a scary goal in front of you and go take ground to find it love it man action over words i appreciate you coming in yeah thanks awesome hanging out thank you and uh like i always say keep it simple crisis will complicate the rest so stay safe out there until next time we're out